we have been studying the book of Proverbs. Is that right? Everybody say yes. So on Wednesday nights, we've been studying the book of Proverbs because tonight is Wisdom Wednesdays. And so we got one more to go next week, Proverbs 6. So make sure you end out uh, our session next week and then we start our classes back up in May. So, uh, but tonight, I haven't done a proverb. Uh, we've had guest speakers every week. And so tonight, I decided to do Proverbs 5. But I did not know what Proverbs 5 was about until last night. And it's about sex, so I'm just going to let you. I was like, Lord God, how did I get involved? <laughs> so stretch your hands forth and pray for me, church. I was like, how in the world did, did I get in, roped into this? But anyway, I should have often preached your sermon last week, Pastor David. And you, you could have done tonight, but maybe the Lord is growing me in many areas. So <laughs> I just have to... <laughs> Without further ado, let's go on. I feel kind of awkward after basking in the presence of the Lord, and now I'm going to preach on this. But hey, it's a subject we need to talk about, right? So hopefully you won't feel awkward as I talk about it tonight, because you're not going to feel as awkward as I feel. So, And I'm up here, so you're just going to have to bear with me and uh, preach along with me. Is that all right? All right, let's, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for your word tonight. Thank you for everything that you've said and everything that's done. We hold on to your word. We pray that your word would go forth in power and boldness and we won't fail to praise you for it. And everyone said, Amen. You would all would agree that we live in a sex-crazed world. We live in a generation where people are selling their sons and daughters for sexual pleasure. Child pornography, child molestation seems to be something that's very common, especially in this society. You hear of it often over and over of the sexual perversion that has invaded not only our government, but sexual perversion has also invaded the church house. It's like a sewage system flowing through the aisles of our church. Sexual sin is something that um, is prevalent in our society, but it's also, I believe, prevalent in our churches. And we have to have the right biblical mindset in order to deal with this. If we continue to shy away from sexual sin and sex in general, then we're going to raise up the next generation who does not know how to answer the questions theologically, and they don't know how to answer the questions biblically. Now, I know it's a subject that most of us do not want to talk about. And there is a sense of privacy that we do not want to talk about it. But I do believe the Bible speaks about it often. And it is something that God created and since God created it, the scriptures speak about it, the church cannot be silent about it. It is not something that's nasty. It is something that people have perverted it and made it out to be something that's an abomination to God. In God's original intent and plan, he made it to be something beautiful between one man and one woman in the covenant of marriage. And so tonight we're going to deal with that because Proverbs chapter 5 deals with the idea of sexual sin and adultery, which is also seen in our society today. This subject, we don't want... I cannot apologize about preaching about this tonight 
because Proverbs chapter number five forces me to deal with the subject. So I've got to deal with it. I've tried to get out of it, but it's Proverbs chapter five. And so it is the word of God. And so we've got to deal with the word of God. Why is it that the church wants to remain silent on the subject of sexual sin, sex, adultery, and perversion? Why do we want to hide away from it? Why do we want to uh, tuck our head, so to speak, and not deal with the issues at hand? We avoid talking about sex because we feel like if we don't talk about it, things will get better. Well, let me remind you that temptation doesn't get better just because you avoid it. Sometimes temptation becomes worse if you don't deal with it. Number two, we underestimate the gravity of the seriousness of sexual sin. It is a sin to God and it is a sin to others. We downplay it as if it's no big deal. Sleeping together outside of marriage is really no big deal anymore. We have become friends with benefits. We have sex with whoever we want to have sex with and seems like it doesn't bother our conscience anymore. I remember reading an article not too long ago that the new thing on college campuses is college students having sex with male and female. It's not, they said they're not gay or lesbian. They're just trying it out because it's fun. That's the society that we live in. That is the mindset of the world. And we've got to make a decision tonight that there are two opposing forces. There is the world and there is the word. And we either we follow the word or you're going to follow the world. Can I hear an amen? Either you follow the word or you follow the world. You see, we underestimate the gravity of sexual sin, what it does to us as a community and what it does to us as individuals. We ignore it because we think it gets better. Or we somehow think that we are smart and we can outgrow it somehow. We can outlive it or we can deal with it ourselves. We certainly don't need to talk about it to anyone. We underestimate, we underestimate the seriousness of the subject. We don't want to talk about it. Number three, we don't understand sex from a biblical theological perspective, do we? We don't understand what the Bible really talks about sex. Timothy Keller, who is a Presbyterian pastor in New York, preached one of the most powerful sermons on sexuality that I have ever heard in my life. He was talking about why sex outside of marriage is sin. And he was talking about how when a person becomes married, they marry not only physically, but they marry emotionally and they marry uh, uh, psychologically. There are three different components to marriage. Body, the erotic part of it, there is the soulish realm, the connection of the soul, and then there is the emotional realm. All right? Those are the three components. If you are only married bodily, and you're not married soulishly, and you're not married in the spirit, you're going to have trouble. Now, you should grow in those areas because marriage is a process of growing. You should always grow in those three areas, but you should be linked together in those three areas. If all you are doing and having sex in marriage and there is not an emotional connection and there's not a spiritual connection, then one of those partners are going to feel like there is something lacking because marriage is, is a component of three parts, body, soul, and spirit. Do you understand what I'm saying tonight? And our society promotes sex outside of marriage. 
they are taking their clothes off in front of someone that they have never connected emotionally with and they have never connected spiritually with. When you take your clothes off on your honeymoon night, what you are saying physically, I am taking my clothes off for the first time in front of you because I have already taken the mask off emotionally. You already know me emotionally. So I am doing something physical that I have already done emotionally and psychologically. You see, the emotional and psychological has to happen first before the uncovering of clothes. The uncovering of clothes is something that is a byproduct of what you have already uncovered emotionally and psychologically and spiritually with one another. But the world will twist it and we uncover our clothes in front of people that we don't have an emotional bond with and there's no spiritual bond with and we are just trying to connect with them because all of us want to connect with someone. That's some good preaching right there. So marriage is body, soul, and spirit, and Proverbs chapter 5 clearly indicates that tonight. We underestimate sex from a biblical and theological perspective. God created sex for two reasons. Number one, for reproduction. Number one. Number two, he created it for pleasure. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 7 that your body in marriage is given to your spouse. You are not to manipulate it. You are to freely give it to your spouse. That is the gift of marriage, according to the Apostle Paul. Number four, the Bible, uh, number four, the reason that we avoid this subject is because there's a lot of shame involved with it. We don't want to talk about it because most of us have pasts that deal with some kind of sexual sin, whether it's pornography, whether it's sex outside of marriage, or whatever the sexual perversion may be, usually the human race deals with sexual sin. According to one uh, prominent magazine, the number one sin in the American church is usually threefold. It's usually either money, money inside of marriage. Marriages fail because of the miscommunication of money. Number two, the know-it-all spirit. One, one, of the, one of the persons in the relationship thinks they know it all, won't take advice or won't listen, communication. And number three, it's sexual sin. You see, I like to refer to it as PMS, power, money, and sex. One of those areas the enemy wants to trip you up on. So there's a lot of shame involved in it. We don't want to talk about it. We're embarrassed about it. We, we, uh, we, we seem to want to look the other way. But I believe that the Bible encourages us that if you read it, it cuts us, it will convict us, but it also will edify us and encourage us if we will read it from a biblical and theological perspective. I want to tell you tonight, ladies and gentlemen, that no matter what kind of sexual sin that you may have been involved in or you are involved in tonight, there is always hope beyond the scope of human limitation. This sermon tonight is not to beat you over the head and to remind you of your sexual sins. It is not to make you feel helpless and hopeless. It is not even to make you feel shameful and guilty. That is not my message tonight. My message tonight is grace and love and forgiveness because there is grace, love, and forgiveness. Why did God create sex? God created sex for reproduction and pleasure. But thirdly, he created sex for connection and intimacy, a connecting of two people to create a bond for life till death do us part. So what I want to do tonight, I want to look at scripture and I want you to see 
what Solomon is telling his son. Now, Solomon is giving his son some words here, and he's telling his son, listen, you are of the age that you can comprehend what I'm telling you. I need to talk to you about sexual sin. I need to talk to you about this subject of sexual perversion. So what I want you to see from this story tonight, this proverb, chapter number five, I want you to see that Solomon was aware that his son was old enough to have this conversation. And I want to remind you parents tonight that you should talk to your children about sex. Because if you don't talk to them about it, the world will talk to them about it. The government will talk to them about it. Can I hear an amen? If you don't talk to them about it, somebody will talk to them about it. And the scripture is clear that Solomon, Solomon, who is a wise man here, is getting ready to talk to his son about this subject. Over and over, he tells the son, my son, my son, listen to these words. My son, listen, my son, listen. Because isn't that what you've got to do to your children? You always got to remind them to listen, remind them to pay attention, remind them to listen. And things haven't changed after all these years. We still have to remind people to listen. We still have to remind people to, to, to follow instruction. And that's exactly what this father is doing. This father understood that my son is old enough to understand what I am saying. Let me tell you, ladies and gentlemen, your children are not stupid. Your children are not stupid. Your children are, are, your children are, are in the school system over 15,000 hours in a school year. And do you think that you attending church one or two hours a week is enough? Do you really think that? 15,000 hours in a school year, they are indoctrinated in the, in the world, and we somehow think that the church can take all those 15,000 hours and reverse it because you brought them to church once a week? You see how the enemy has blinded our eyes? You see how the enemy, according to Matthew chapter 13, has convinced us that it's okay that the word of God falls on stony ground and hard ground? Because the Bible says it has no root. Because when the cares of this world comes, it chokes out the word of God. Ladies and gentlemen, when you do come to church, and when I do come to church, you only obtain 30% of what's being said. So let, let me just break the news to you. They're in the school system for 15,000 hours in a school year. We bring them to church at least once a week, maybe, if we feel like it. And then we expect 30% of what they hear in church is going to reverse the 15,000 hours of what they hear in the school system. Really? Really? It's no wonder our society is going to hell in a handbasket. It's no wonder that our perception of Christianity has only been relegated to an hour or two on Sunday morning and the enemy is winning by a foothold. The Mormon church requires their attendees to take their children to the Mormon ward, W-A-R-D, for at least an hour before they take them to the public school system. Why? because they indoctrinate them by the Book of Mormon before they ever take them to school. Most of them don't even take them to the public school system, and if they do, they drop them off by the church to make sure they're taught before they're sent into the world. The Catholic Church requires their members to take their children through catechism, a series of teaching, because they know that if we can get them as a child, they'll never leave the church. 
How much more should Protestant believers and Pentecostal believers make sure that our children are instructed every time the house of God is open? And everybody in this building should have clapped your hand and said, that's right. You see what I'm saying? Indoctrinated. So number one, I want you to see, there are four things in this proverb that I want you to see about, sin, about sex. Number one, you need to recognize the danger of following her. Number one, number one, recognize the danger of following her. He uses the pronoun her to refer to adultery, to adultery. So Solomon is talking to his son about the sin of committing adultery. Look at verse number one. Proverbs chapter 5, verse number 1. My son, my son, pay attention to wisdom. Lean your ear to understanding. Then he goes on to verse number 2. That you may preserve discretion and your lips may keep knowledge. You see what he's saying? Verse number 3. He says, for the lips of an immoral woman will drip honey and her mouth is smoother than oil. The very first thing that Solomon is telling his son about adultery He's, he's dealing with the sin of adultery. He says, number one, you need to pay attention to what you hear. You need to pay, no, you, number one, verse number two, you need to act wisely. And number two, you need to speak wisely. Look at verse number two. He says, the number one thing that you need to do to stay away from adultery, he says, you need to act wisely. You need to use discretion. And number two, you need to make sure that your lips have knowledge. So if you're going to keep your soul from committing adultery or sexual sin, you've got to act wisely, you've got to use discretion, and you've got to speak wisely. My goodness, church, that is the secret, to act wisely and to speak wisely. If you know that you're going to, if you know you have a, if you know you have a weakness in some kind of sin, number one, you have to act wisely. You've got to know that you cannot do some things. I cannot watch that movie. I cannot go to that place. I cannot watch that show. I cannot talk to that person. That person makes me feel a certain way. That show makes me feel a certain way. It makes me have feelings that I shouldn't have. If you know that, then number one, Solomon is saying you should act wisely. You should have a little bit of wisdom and you should act wisely. And number two, you should speak wisely. You've got to be careful who you speak to because adultery happens with a live person, with a real person. You've got to be careful how you, what conversation that you are involved in. You remember Delilah who laid her head in the lap of Samson? And what did Delilah do? Oh, you know, Samson didn't act wisely, did he? You know why he didn't act wisely? He invited a prostitute to his house. And that prostitute laid her head on the lap of, Del uh, of Samson. And you know what Delilah said? Delilah said, don't tease me anymore, baby. If you really love me, you'll show me and tell me the secret of your power. And you know what Samson did? He opened up his mouth and he did not use wisdom. He shared his heart with Delilah. You've got to be careful who you share your heart with. Not everybody is your BFF. You got to be careful what you put on Facebook. 80% of people don't care what you put on Facebook and 20% think you deserve what you got. Are you all too quiet tonight? Can I hear an amen somewhere up in here? 
So you've got to act wisely and you've got to speak wisely. Samson opened up his mouth because Delilah was his BFF. Told her everything. And what did she do? She got up and cut his hair. Woke Samson and said, Samson, arise for the Philistines is upon you. And Samson knew not that the presence of God had left him. And then his eyes was gouged out of his, of his head. He lost his sight. Because that's what happens when we commit sin. We lose our spiritual sight. And then he was taken down to the Philistines and he began to grind in a mill. Because that's what the enemy does. He not only takes your sight, but he puts you in a situation where it's an embarrassing. Because he didn't act wisely and he didn't speak wisely. See, ladies and gentlemen, recognize the danger of following her. He said, my son, you've got to wake up. You've got to act wisely. You've got to use discretion. You've got to be careful what you say with your lips. He says, verse number three, the reason that this is important, the reason that you need to watch what you say and you've got to be careful how you act because there are some people, and he's talking about adultery here. He says, there's these women here who have immoral lips. They, and they drip with honey and their mouth is smoother than oil. What is he trying to say here? He is saying, number one, they're seductive. They're dripping with honey. They're seductive. They're, they're sweet, just like Delilah. Boy, she was sweet as honey, wasn't she? Oh, baby, come here and tell me the secret of your heart. We're BFFs. We've been in this thing a long time. They're seductive. And not only are they seductive, but her mouth is smoother than oil. Flattery. Because that's what flattery is. Flattery is smooth, isn't it? So how does an immoral woman get you? An immoral woman gets you when they are sweet and they flatter you. Be careful of people who are sweet and flatter you all the time because they bring you down to a wrong path. So they're seductive and they're full of flattery. Seductive and full of flattery. Verses 4 through 6 tells us that what you see and what you hear is not necessarily what you get. So after you get her, it's not what necessarily what you're expecting for because that's what adultery is. After you get it, that's not exactly what you was expecting. The Bible says in verse number 4, but the end, she is bitter as a worm would. In the end, oh, well, she's seductive, isn't she? Her, her, her mouth drips with honey, the Bible says, and, and her, 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 her lips are smoother than oil. She has a lot of flattery and she's seductive. But Solomon says, be careful because in the end, she's like a wormwood. She's sharp as a two-edged sword. You know what he's saying? That in the end, adultery is bitter because a, a wormwood is a plant that is bitter and poisonous. And Solomon is simply saying that in the end, adultery is bitter, it's poisonous. And then he says, it's like a sharp two-edged sword. In other words, it will wound you. It will kill you. And then he goes on to say in verse number five, her feet go down to death and her steps lay a hold of hell. Least you ponder her path of light. Her ways are unstable and you do not know them. So you know what he's saying? Be careful, Solomon. She's seductive like honey. Be careful, Solomon. She is smooth as oil. She can flatter you. But in the end, 
She is poisonous like a worm. In the end, she will wound you like a sword. In the end, she will cause you to go down to hell. If you follow her, you'll go down to the pit. You'll go down to the hell. So she starts out as seductive. She starts out as being smooth and sweet. But it ends up being poisonous and hellish. Boy, isn't that what sin does? Sin is sweet and smooth at first. And in the end, sin ends up to be poisonous. Her feet go down to death and her steps lay a hold of hell. Adultery results. Adultery is the exact opposite of what was promised to you in the beginning. In the beginning, it was flattery. In the beginning, it was sweet. In the beginning, it was smooth. In the beginning, it was all that and a bag of chips. In the end, it was awesome. In the end, it was catch me if you can. Let's go hook up in the hotel. Nobody will ever know. And she's so seductive and smooth and flattery. Oh, you're having a time of your life. But in the end, she's poisonous. In the end, she is like a sword. In the end, her feet go down to hell. Number two, verses 7 through 14 tells us that not only is adultery, you got to be careful that you don't follow her, but then the Bible says you've got to repent and reject the adultery. Verse number seven, repent and reject it. Repent and reject it. So number one, don't follow her. And number two, you've got to reject and repent of the adultery. Number two, therefore hear my words now, my children, and do not depart from the words of my mouth. So here is Solomon saying, listen, I got, I got, I'm not finished telling you something. And isn't it interesting Go back to verse number seven. He's not talking about somebody uh, singular as my son. Now he's talking about my children. Now he's looking at you saying, I've dealt with my son. Now I want you to perk up and listen. Listen here. Listen. He says, hear me. Don't depart from the words of my mouth. Verse number eight. He says, remove your way far from her and don't even go to the near door of her house. Least you give your honor to others and your years to the cruel one. Now listen to this, church. This is so powerful. Verse number 10, least your, what's that word? Strangers. Alienates. Is that a, aliens? Is the word be filled with wealth and your, is that labors? Go to the house of the foreigner. Sorry, I'm having trouble seeing up there. Verse number 11, and you mourn at last when your flesh and your body are what? Consumed. So I want you to see this. Look at this progression. He says, repent and turn away from adultery. He says in verse number seven, he says, hear me. He's just not talking about Solomon now. He's talking about everyone. I want everyone to hear me because this is a serious matter. He says, verse number eight, you need to hear me. He says, you need to remove far from her house. Don't even go to the door of her house. Stay away from her. Stay away from adultery. Stay away from it. He says, least you give your honor to others and your years to a cruel one. So the very first thing that you want to see here, he says, don't do it. You know why you don't need to go and commit adultery? He says, I'm going to give you the reasons why 
you don't need to go commit adultery. Okay, you ready for it? He says, these are the reasons why you don't need to commit adultery. Number one, he says, if you commit adultery, you give your honor to others. Number one, you give your honor to others. Somebody say honor to others. In other words, you lose honor in the sight of people. And ladies and gentlemen, that's one of the hardest things to regain is when you lose honor. When you lose trust. When you lose respect. He says the very first thing that you happens when you commit adultery is you lose honor. And number two, he says you lose years. All those years that you have built up with your spouse, you lose it overnight. You lose honor and you give all those years to the cruel one. Boy, isn't that amazing? He goes on to say that you become like a stranger, an alien. He says, you become like a stranger. What does that mean? You're disconnected from your family and you're a stranger to your family. Your wealth is gone. And all the years of building up wealth, it's suddenly now divided because of divorce. You see what happens? You see what adultery does? It gives your honor away. It gives your years away. You become alienated from your family. And you lose all the wealth that you had. You all know this is the truth. This is the picture of the American dream. Your honor, your years, you've lost it. He says in verse number 14, verse number 14. No, we'll go down to verse number, yeah, verse 11. And you mourn at last. He says, this is what you do with adultery. You mourn at last. And your flesh and your body is consumed. You start mourning over the adultery. Verse number 12. And then you say, I have hated instruction. And my heart has despised correction. He says, that's exactly what happens in, a, in adultery. You've, you've despised correction. You've despised instruction. You are mourning now. Then he says in verse number three. 13, I have not obeyed the voice of my teachers. I've not inclined the ear to those who've instructed me. He says, I'm on the verge. Verse number 14, I'm on the verge of total ruin. I'm going to lose everything I've got because of adultery. And he says, even in the midst of the assembly and the congregation, he says, I've become ashamed in the midst of the people. I've lost my honor in the midst of people. I'm on the verge of losing everything. Because I have followed that woman whose lips are dripping with what? Honey? And her words are smooth as oil. Oh, Solomon, you've got to be careful. Be very careful, Solomon. You've got to act wisely. You've got to speak wisely. Don't go to the door of her house. You've got to pay attention. Verse number 15. Verse number 15. He then changes in closing tonight. He then changes and says, okay, number one, you, you've got to, you cannot follow. You, got, you can't follow her. Her as in adultery, you can't follow her. Number two, you've got to repent from it. Run away from it. And then number three, he says, why don't you just enjoy your spouse? He says, instead of committing adultery, 
Why don't you make a decision to enjoy your spouse? Verse number 15, he changes it and says you need to enjoy one another. Don't run after the woman. Don't run after the woman who is dripping with honey. Don't run after the woman who is smoother than oil, who has flattery. He says, my son, God has given you a spouse. Enjoy him or her. He says in verse 15, he says, you know what your spouse is. He says, drink from the water from your own cistern. Your spouse should be your own cistern. And running water from your own well. You've got your own water. Don't you be going to get somebody else's water. Somebody say amen. You've got your own cistern. You've got your own well. You've got your own spouse. You've got your own wife. You've got your own refreshing Water. Why are you running after somebody that's dripping with honey when you can have a well full of water, baby? Why are you going after a little bit of oil from her lips and a little bit of honey from her lips when you got a well of water in your spouse? Oh, don't, don't run after her. Go back home to your spouse. Boy, I wish I had a TV camera. I'd just tell the America, why don't you just go back to... <laughs> Quit messing around with everybody else's spouse and go back to your own baby. Can somebody say amen up in this church? I'm so tired of preachers calling themselves bishop and they've been married six times. I'm bishop so-and-so. You ain't no bishop. The Bible says let him be the husband of one wife. I wish, come on, can, can somebody just wave your hand up in here? Hallelujah. If you're going to be a bishop, the husband of one wife. And the Bible says if you can't control your own house, you don't need to be a bishop. But we don't want to follow the Bible, do we? He says, go home and enjoy your spouse. Drink from your own water. And running water from your own well. He goes on. Now, as I read this, I kind of blushed. Because he really is like, you know, you just need to go home and quit messing around with people and go home to your own spouse. He goes on to say, should your fountains be dispersed abroad? He said, should you go look somewhere else for something to refresh you? Should you go find water in the streets? Should you go do that? Should you go find somebody else to refresh you? He says, verse number 17, let them be only your own and not for the strangers with you. He says, you don't need to go find water somewhere else to refresh you. You don't need to go find a stranger somewhere else to refresh you. He says, verse number 18, somebody ought to shout right here. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice with the wife of your youth. He says, go home and be with your wife. Go home and get refreshed. Go home. Go to the well of water that's at your house. Amen. Go home. 
He says, and rejoice with the wife of your youth. He says it's kind of like verse 19, as a loving deer and a graceful doe. He says it's, it's kind of like a deer and a doe, doe coming together for the first time. He says, go home. And you all can read the rest of that. I'll look down and y'all can finish it. Because I was like, Lord, God, help me, Jesus. Oh, Jesus, I pray, God, help me. You know, when I get married, I'm not going to come to church because I'm going to be too embarrassed. Because you all are going to embarrass me, so y'all just forget about it, So let's go on to verse 20. Is that right, Pastor David? We'll go on. He says, for why should you, my son, be enraptured by an immoral woman? He says, why do you need to go sleep around with some other woman and be embraced in her arms? Why, why do you need to do that when you've got a well of water at your house? Now I want to say this. And I say this respectfully, biblically. If you are married and you are denying your spouse of the water, I'm not sure if that's scriptural. Because a part of marriage is participating in that act. What, if you're not going to participate in the act, why don't you just be best friends? You see what I'm saying? The scripture encourages us that if we don't participate in the act in marriage, in marriage, between one man and one woman, let me just clarify that, then it's possible the enemy can get a foothold. How do I know that? The Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse number 5. Can you put that up there? Well, verse, look at verse number 1. 1 Corinthians 7, verse 1. He says, 1 Corinthians 7, Now concerning the things which you wrote to me, is it good for a man not to touch a woman? You see, somebody wrote Paul and said, Now Paul, should we be single or should we be married? Etc. Now, the whole discourse here, what did the Apostle Paul say? It's good if you want to be single. That's fine. If you want to be single, you can be just like me and devote yourself to God and there's nothing wrong with it. If you want to be married... That's good too. They're both good. He says, but if you are burning up, just go find somebody to marry. Okay, that, that's his whole discourse here. And then he says in verse number, 1 Corinthians 7, verse number 5, he says, or verse number four, 3, he says, 1 Corinthians 7, verse 3, Let the husband render to his wife the affection due to her, likewise also the wife to her husband. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. Likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Do not deprave one another except for consent for a time that you may give yourself to fasting and prayer and come together again so sainted does not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. So if you're going to deprave each other, you agree about it. Have a conversation about it. Agree about it but make sure there's communication that you come back together at some time that the enemy doesn't bring a foothold in the marriage. Paul the Apostle is not talking about somebody being a sex slave in marriage. That's not what he's talking about. 
He is simply saying that in a covenant relationship between a man and a woman, there should be mutual respect and mutual love for one another as if the husband is loving the wife as Christ loves the church and they're in a covenant relationship bond together in holy matrimony, then that should be a a part of marriage that glorifies God. Bible says in Proverbs chapter 5, he says, verse number 21, for the ways of a man are before the eyes of the Lord. Verse 21, Proverbs chapter 5, verse 21, and he ponders all of his paths. Verse number 22, his own iniquities entrap the wicked one, and he is caught in the cords of his own sin. He shall die for the lack of instruction. You see that? In the greatness of his folly, he shall go astray. He says, if you fall into adultery, he says, it's only because, he says, you did not listen to instruction and you die because you won't listen. You won't listen. And that is the problem, church. The reason that we mess up in life and we get in the messes that we get in is because we simply don't listen. It's... It's, I'm going to close with this. You know what the problem is? The problem with all sin, every, you think of everything you've ever done wrong. Everything you've ever done wrong, the root and the core of it is pride. That's what it is. Now, I, I, I want you to get this. Every sin is a core root in pride. I am self-sufficient, I'll do what I want to do. I know what's best. I'm doing that. All sin is rooted in pride. That is why prayer, praying before God, is the opposite of pride. Because in prayer, what we are saying is, I cannot fix it. I don't know the way. I don't know what to say. You are God. I am dependent on you. So prayer is the opposite of a prideful spirit. And that is why we can't get nobody to pray in church is because we got a spirit of pride thinking we know it all and we can do it and fix it ourselves. A praying church is a humble church. That's why Jesus said, thy will be done. And Lucifer said, I will exalt myself before the throne of God. One was prideful, one was humble. All sin is rooted in pride. And the reason that we sin is because we think we can do it ourselves. We know what's best. This is what we like and I will do it. That is why, that is why people don't like pastors and spiritual leaders. It's all rooted in pride. We know what to do. We got sheep know what to do. Now pastors should submit too. They should have someone they submit to. If they're not submitting to someone, you shouldn't submit to them. It's all rooted in pride. All of it. That's why over and over in the Bible, the scripture tells us that pride comes before a fall. Thinking we know this is what's best for us. Do you know how many people in my pastorate has come to me and said, God said, God said, God, God didn't tell you. It's your pride that told you. 
You know why I know it was your pride that told you? Because those same people that always said God said, God said, 80% of them, 80% of them, they've hopped from one church to another for 20 years. Some of them don't even go to church. Some of them run, run their mouth, gossip, complain, over, just continues the cycle over and over and over, won't submit, won't be faithful to God in attendance, won't tithe, won't submit to authority, over and over, but God somehow told them. And so they won't submit to spiritual authority and spiritual leadership because they don't want to be a sheep. Sheep follow the shepherd. Goats want to get outside of the fence and do their own thing. And I say that with authority because I've pastored for 15 years and David could say that with authority. That's the most frustrating thing about pastoring people is because you've got to deal with the sin nature of people. And God is, you know what, I see so much potential in people. I love people to the fullest. I see so much potential in them and I see so much that God wants to do in them and they won't submit to the mighty hand of God. Won't submit to it. Won't, 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 God, God's trying to mold them and make them and shape them. They can't see it. But let me remind you that the three Hebrew boys, when they were thrown in the fiery furnace, they didn't see the fourth man. It was the king that looked in and said, I thought I threw in three, but there's a fourth man in the furnace. When you are in the furnace, you don't see Jesus in the furnace with you, but somebody else can see what God is doing. And sometimes we got to release our pride and let people speak into our life and say, I see what God is trying to do in your life. I see what God's trying to do. I see what God's trying to mold and make and shape. Because sometimes we can't see it. Sometimes we don't see what God wants to do. But somebody else can look at your life and say, I see it. See what God's trying to do. See that God, and I have a big, and, and I'm not, I, I didn't make that statement because somebody was doing something. I, I'm making a general blanket statement. Because I, I truly believe in general that every person that sits in this building has great potential to do whatever God has called you to do. I'm telling you to do whatever God has called you to do. But I'm telling you, don't jump the ship. I'm telling you, let God do what he wants to do. His timing's not your timing. Let him do what he wants to do. And I promise you, God will put you in a position where you can stand before kings and queens. Your gift will make a room for you. I'm telling you, separation equals elevation. I'm telling you, there'll come a time where God will take you from the private place and thrust you in the public. And it wasn't because a man did it. It was because you submitted to the mighty hand of God. You submitted to the process of God. And God is saying, it's your time. It's your time. I'm going to bring you out and I'm going to let the world see what I've done inside of you. So be patient. Allow God to do what he wants to do in you and through you and I promise you when he does it, it'll be more glorious than you've ever thought in your life. Can I hear an amen? I said, can I hear an amen? Praise God. Did you enjoy the word of the Lord tonight? Hallelujah. Did you enjoy the word of the Lord tonight? Amen. Hallelujah. Father, I thank you for your word tonight. Thank you, Father, that, um, Lord, this was a hard subject to preach on.
very hard. But it's your word, so I'm asking you that your word go forth in power and boldness. And if we are here tonight and we've struggled with something in this area, or maybe we've made mistakes, this is what I want you to hear before you go home tonight. This message wasn't to condemn anyone or make anybody feel bad, guilty or condemned. Tonight, there is freedom in Jesus and forgiveness and grace and mercy. Don't leave and allow the enemy to put you under condemnation and guilt and shame. Recognize your need for Jesus, repent of it, and move on. Did you hear me? Don't walk in shame and guilt. Tonight, just repent of it. Say, I made a mistake. I'm going on. I'm going to make things right. Don't allow the enemy to keep you in the grave. Don't allow the enemy to continue to put you in the pit. Don't allow the enemy to continue to oppress you with guilt and shame. But tonight, make a decision that the blood of Jesus is strong enough to forgive me and cleanse me, and I'm going to pick myself up and go on, and I'm going to do better. Hallelujah. Can I hear an amen? So tonight, I thank you for the strength of the Spirit. Thank you for the Holy Spirit that's strengthening the hearts of people tonight. We repent if there's any sin, Lord. Any struggle, we repent of it.